Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. Hey, all welcome to the Defiant Spirit Podcast. I'm Baruch Levy, also known as B, and you already know who I am, but you don't know who this fine-looking gentleman is on the other end of this uh, Zoom call, my good friend, Dave Mann. How are you doing, Dave? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm thrilled that you uh, decided to join me on this podcast. And for those who can't see, Dave, is, as you know, heard he's on this call with me, and we're going to be um, exploring today a topic that is near and dear to my heart and my good friend Dave's heart, um, what it means to be a man, what it means to come to terms with being a man. Um, I'm just going to give a little context, um, but I, Dave, if you maybe just give us like a 30,000 foot view of who this dude is on the call with me. Yeah. So 53 years old, uh, born and raised in California, uh, lion's share of the of the youth was spent on a on a 600 cow dairy in Northern California, um, raised, you know, in two ends of the state. Parents got divorced when I was young, only child by those folks, um, Gentile father, Jewish mother, uh, raised primarily, you know, with Jewish faith, but spent uh you know, probably more than half my life, you know, young years uh, living on the dairy. So didn't get a lot of influence. So I had a really diverse uh, kind of spiritual upbringing, if you will. Um, and then, you know, did the did the athletics thing in college, uh, you know, dealt with a life of not knowing how to be, um, you know, a lot of insecurities, a lot of assholey behavior, um, and a lot of therapy leads me to now, which is happily married to Jody for uh, the last 20 plus years, two wonderful daughters, one in her career in Los Angeles, one in college at Monta in Montana at Montana State. And uh, we're I'm a contractor and uh, truly am finally, finally living my best life. You know, of everything you said, it's all important. What I'm taken by is the order in which you said it, because um, lots of guys that I would introduce, um, you know, no harm, no foul, but they'll lead with, I am a contractor. And that was barely made the top 30 ways that you've identified yourself already, you know, in our, in our short call together, which I think says a lot and probably takes us into the heart of our conversation. Well, thank you. It's, uh, certainly wasn't conscious, but, uh, spent a lot of time not only with you, but with other people that I care about trying to figure out my life and my journey. And so I'm, I'm always geek to talk about it. Um, you know, Dave and I, for those um, who are just meeting Dave and don't know, I haven't you know, mentioned you before, but Dave and I have become like, um, really like soul brothers, like reunite. It's more like a reuniting. He's one of those relationships. You're one. I'll talk to you as if you're here, because you are here. Um, you are you're one of those relationships in my life that it's just goes beyond the 
time frame, you know, in this physical world of only knowing you for a year or two or however long it's been. And it goes much deeper. And I just think that you have to take those those relationships in your life seriously. And I, and I take our relationship very seriously. Thank you. I, I agree. I'm I'm very excited about where we're going and I feel very, very connected and close to you. And, and I need, uh, I need, I need help, man. And I feel like, you know, we can help each other in that, in that realm. So where we are, we have come from, where we are going, this, um, you know, collaboration at a soul level has been for anybody listening has been a, pro- a progression and we are progressing towards a formal offering a formal program. I'm not going to announce it here, but you know, do stay tuned. This is not a one-off conversation. Anybody who's listening has heard me talk with some other guys, especially Scott Schaffman, who I haven't yet introduced Dave to, but he'll get to know. Um, and all these guys in my life are saying the same thing. And we have a couple other buddies who were involved with in this project, which is we need formal places, we need spaces, we need conversations to have meaningful encounters. And that's what this is about. Meaningful encounters for men. Because, you know, as much as I like having them with women, Ariella, my wife, Jody, Dave's wife, they seem to naturally find them on their own a little more organically all throughout their life. But I don't know, Dave, you can comment on this as well as I can. It just seems to me that men aren't wired to seek out these conversations or aren't culturated to to have these conversations or are comfortable with having these conversations but they need to have these conversations yeah it's couldn't agree more and jody and i were having this conversation this morning and i have i'm in a tough spot with a guy that i care about and and the relationship you know may be on pause it may be over uh and it was over some silly stuff uh i made a, a concerted effort to to apologize and ask for forgiveness and I and I didn't I didn't get the response that I was hoping for. And my wife said, "Why do you care? Why do you want to be friends with this guy?" And I said, "Because I care about him, and 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 he's he was a valuable friend in my life. And I don't have a lot of friends, you know, like you do. You know, like you have a huge network of of all these great women in your life. And so I cherish it, and it's important to me. And you know, I want to hang on to it. And it may not be meant to be. It's it's as another good friend of ours always says, there's a reason, a season, or a lifetime, and um, you know, I want to be really clear on which one of those three each of my relationships are, but I, I don't want to be the reason for something ending. Um, you know, I'm looking for I'm looking for solid men in my life. It's it's really important to me. So yes, I'm with you. Yeah, and I think it brings us to the the topic that I wanted to really hit on in this first um, podcast together, because I don't know your friend from Adam, um, but I know a lot of friends like him. Uh, and we'll call him Adam. I know that's not his name, but it's the first man. So maybe we'll always come back to instead of Joe Schmo, yeah. we'll, go, we'll go with Adam. But there are a lot of Adams out there who, when you start touching on these nerves, these sensitive pressure points, it starts bringing up stuff in them. I mean, whenever we get angry, whenever we're hurt, it always comes back to me. Nobody can make me as a grown man feel anything. I choose to interpret the signals, to take the message, to trigger in myself my feelings. That's what it means to be a man, a true man, is I got to take responsibility for what I'm feeling. And I, I see a lot of Adams out there who run from, as we'll get into, looking at this stuff, to looking in the mirror. And I imagine, you know, there's a lot of truth in, in what you brought up 
uh, in this Adam. And, you know, I was Adam also, you know, and so I get it. I mean, I've been there and I've, I've walked that path and life is, has become so much easier and, and so much uh, more enjoyable and so much lighter. And I feel so, so much more connected and um, you know, I'm not operating from a place of, of fear like I was for so many years. So when I see these atoms, you know, I just, I tend to judge, you know, from the perspective of it's just a lack of evolution. And if I can help share my story or, you know, introduce, you know, folks like that to guys like you and bring them into our network and our circle, I, I just feel like we're going to make their lives better and the world a better place. So that brings me to the content. Um, what I wanted to at least frame our conversation around, we don't have to stick to it, but I, I'm bringing this in, um, this poem, which I'm going to share with a lot of guys that I'm working with. And um, I just did a podcast with a friend of mine, Scott, who I mentioned before, who we talked about this poem. And I think it's interesting to hear different men and their take on this poem, at least as a starting point. It's not an end point. I think it's really the beginning, as I've seen it, working with men on their journey. This poem was given to me by my grandpa, my grandpa Jack. Um, my grandpa Jack is to me what I'm sure um, you'll resonate with, um, Dave, your, your grandpa Seymour, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. What he was to you, uh, a very important father figure, particularly sometimes in the absence of my father's presence. And he gave me this poem when I was, I can never remember, but it was sometime like late teens, early 20s. I'm sure he saw something in me that needed to read this poem um, because I'm sure I wasn't my highest, best self. And he had carried, he had kept this, um, this poem on his desk for his, during his career. My grandpa worked as a stockbroker in Los Angeles at Bear Stearns, which uh, is no, is no more. Right. And I, and I think he grappled with being a stockbroker. He had always wanted to be, something a little more obviously, you know, sort of humanities related. He would have been made a great, uh, he would have made a great rabbi or social worker or something, but he had to do what he had to do. And I think that he grappled with it. And I, I, at least I think that's why he kept this poem on his desk. It's a poem um, that goes back to the thirties and it's a little dated in language, but I kind of like that because it reminds me of a different era and the men that came before us, and for me particularly, my grandpa. But I could just as see as just as easily, um, this is something that would resonate with Grandpa Seymour. Or if you're listening on this call um, to your grandpa or to your father, or to somebody important that came before you, and upon whose shoulders we're standing. So this is called the guy in the glass. For anybody listening, actually, for, even if you're watching it, I don't have it uh, up on the screen. Here we go, by Dale Wimbro, 1934. When you get what you want in your struggle for self and the world makes you king for a day, then go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that guy has to say. For it isn't your father or mother or wife whose judgment upon you must pass. The feller whose verdict counts most in your life is the guy staring back from the glass. He's the feller to please, never mind all the rest, for he's with you clear up to the end. And you've passed your most dangerous, difficult test if that guy in the glass is your friend. You may be like Jack Horner and chisel a plum. That just means that you think you're a wonderful guy. But the man in the glass says you're only a bum if you can't look him straight in the eye. 
You can fool the whole world down the pathway of years and get pats on the back as you pass, but your final reward will be heartache and tears if you've cheated the guy in the glass. So that is the guy in the glass. That opens up something in me, but I want to know, uh, Dave, first of all, when I sent it to you a couple of days ago, was that the first time you've heard it? And I guess what was your initial reaction to the poem? Well, it spoke to me. Um, you know, I'm I'm knee deep in my own journey and have been for a long time. So I'm a sponge to, you know, anything that resonates with, uh, sorry, about that. sorry. Hey, shh, shh. hold on. Can I let them out? I'm sorry. Yeah, no problem. It's another uh, male in need of some work. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm a sponge, so you know anything that that I feel, you know, in my in my heart and in my gut. And so when I read that, it's exactly what I took away. I shared it with men that I care about right away, and it and there's been so many great men in my life. And if I, if I had a do-over, I would say, listen sooner, you know, pay more attention. You know, you had great mentors when you weren't ready to, to hear it. And it, and it reminds me of, you know, a, a, a couple sayings that I've used over time, which is, you know, when the student is ready, the master will appear. Well, I had dozens of probably wonderful masters, but I just, it took me a long time to be ready. And then I had another great mentor that used to always say, um, you know, remember the men who dug the well from which we drank the water. Mm. And I mean, that, you know, that hits me because that's that's the context I've been carrying for, you know, probably 12, 15 years now um, when I really was ready. I think I was ready probably about, you know, 12 years ago to to really start taking my life in the direction and and being able to look at the man in the glass, which I, I can I can confidently tell you that I, I wasn't ready, you know, before that time. So for me, it's meaningful and, and I love the context around it. So getting to know you being a part of your journey, um, you know, I, and just knowing the men listening out there and my own journey as well, I'm, I'm in it with you. It's, it's that paragraph in the middle that I feel like the whole thing turns on and I'll read it again. He's the feller to please never mind all the rest for he's with you clear up to the end. And you passed your most dangerous, difficult test if the guy in the glass is your friend, right? And I feel like um, stuff that you've been grappling with, certainly I've been grappling with, every guy I know has been grappling with is what's called uh, our friend Cam, who's hopefully listening to this, calls it, what is it called? The 10, 10, 10? Yeah. What, yeah, I'm always checking in as a 10. Yeah. And what, what's the 10, 10, 10? It's like, it's like family, uh, business, and personal. So you know the 10, 10, 10. We're all guilty of it. I'm not picking on just the atoms out there. Um, it's that, hey, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm good. I'm 10, 10, 10, right? Like, yeah. and I'm I'm good. My dad's version of it was I'm fine. Yeah. Which was his way of saying, like, don't ask me. I'm not really going to tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's this faking it. Right. I mean, this poem starts getting into like uh, that last line. You you can know uh, you can fool everybody down the pathway. I'm 10, 10, 10. Yeah, I'm good. It's all, all it's all good. Yeah. But there's a facade. Right. And you, yeah. you got to do and, a lot. And of it's, and it's seeking out those relationships where people have a genuine interest in how you're really doing. I, I've had, you know, a lot of a lot of men smarter than me you know, tell me, you know, when I check in with my version of 10, 10, 10, which is, Hey, I'm great. Everything's great. Really? 
tell me like, what, how are you really doing? You know, and there was, there was a period of time when it's like, do you really want to hear it? Because I, I've, I've been raised in this culture that people don't care how I'm really doing. And if I started to tell you, I might scare you. If I start to tell myself, it might scare me. Um, and so, you know, you and I have been super fortunate to, you know, to spend our time with men and, and, and women and, you know, people that are, that are on the journey of enlightenment, you know, they want to learn, they want to grow. It's, they, they understand it. And, uh, and we're, and it's, as Cam also says, better together, you know, it's, it's so much more fun and safe and for me healthy to do it with people that I know care about me and vice versa. But you had to get to a point, right? That's what this poem is really getting into is where you're, you're at least willing to go to the mirror and say, not 10, not 10, not 10, right? And be honest about that. And, and, and like Scott, who you'll meet, um, is very forthcoming about this. When I assigned him this poem and this work to go to the mirror, I literally assigned it to a lot of guys I work with. He, he said he couldn't look that guy in the eye. Yeah. Right. This was three or four years ago. He he didn't like that guy in the mirror. So what did he do? He just didn't go to the mirrors, so to yeah. speak. Right. Did you ever have that? I know I had that experience. Did you? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I was, I was best at bullshitting myself. You know, I, 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 I could lie to everybody, but I could really lie to myself. And, uh, you know, it's, it's that old adage that, that, you know, we've been taught too, which is, you know, fake it till you make it. So there was, there was some, you know, there was some higher, uh, you know, meaning behind what I, what I think I was doing unconsciously, which was, I was just, you know, trying to stay alive. I was, you know, I, I was, I was on the, on the lifeboat trying to make it to the next, you know, the next Island, the next stop, whatever my safe haven was. And I didn't, I didn't know what, how to identify it. Um, I, I certainly understand it now. I see it now. I was raised around, you know, Neanderthal level thinkers, you know, for many, many years, not because they didn't have the ability or the intelligence. It's, it's, that was the culture and the way in which they were raised. And, um, and so, you know, to, to be where you and I are at now in our mid fifties, you know, comparing ourselves to our fathers and our grandfathers and the times they grew up. in. I mean, these conversations, I, I can't imagine were happening. Um, and so, you know, at this point I feel very, very fortunate and, you know, to your question, I probably looked myself in the mirror, Baruch, but, you know, I, I was I was only seeing what I wanted to see. I, I didn't want to hear what the truth was. It's, it's true. It's interesting you say that. I, now that you do say that, my grandfather, and this poem was written in 1934, so it was like, you know, Dale Wimbrough. I didn't know him, don't know him from Adam, but I know he wasn't seeing a therapist or a coach or yeah. right reading yeah. books on uh, inner transformation. I mean, right. that just wasn't the, the way, but he even wrote this poem to reflect that, right? It's, it's not him sitting down with his, his therapist or his friends or his men's group and looking them in the mirror. He's looking at himself. Like he, all he had, my grandfather, I think about it. It's like, I'm sure he did some of this work on his own as much as he could, but he was, he was alone on the journey. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you've got me thinking about my grandfather who came, you know, from a very close family of, of six kids lost their, their mother when they were all, you know, 12 and under. And so the default thought I have is they only had each other. They came from fortunately a, a pretty loving family. Um, you know, I don't know if, if, you know, identifying them as functional or dysfunctional is fair, 
you know, considering the times and, you know, my grandfather was a first generation and, uh, you know, his, his father barely spoke English. They were very blue collar. Um, but you know, they knew, I think they knew how to work hard and they knew how to love one another. So that's my fantasy or illusion or hunch of why he turned out to be a great guy. And his siblings were great people too. You know, from there, there was a lot of disconnecting. So how I ended up where I ended up, you know, I don't know that that's important, but I've certainly found my way back and I'm, and I'm very grateful. No, I think it's really part of our conversation, not only now, but in, you know, the work that we're evolving, the programs we're putting together is to start, and maybe we'll even back up next time and start with the the digging, the wells that were dug for us conversation, because, yeah. you know, Viktor Frankl um, ta- says in Man's Search for Meaning, quoting a famous quote, but it's easy to look down upon a giant when you're standing on his shoulders, yeah. right? And it's like, just so easy. My grandfather fought in World War II and he um he saw things he couldn't talk about he was one of the uh, one of the liberators of a concentration camp in my imagination I always imagine him liberating Dachau where um Frankel was liberated and you know neither one of them would famous but maybe they just brushed past each other yeah. each um upon upon whose shoulders each of whom I stand yeah and you know what they went through we don't have to go through. And in part, we don't have to go through it because of men like my grandfather, men yeah. like your grandpa Seymour. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, that's never lost on me and um, probably to a fault, you know, it's, it's still, I'm still in that phase of, yeah, I can look myself in the mirror certainly more comfortably now, but it's hard to take credit. Um, you know, it's a lot of the work I'm still doing is, boy, I was sure lucky. I have all these, you know, great men in my life and great women and a great wife who's stood by me and been patient with me and loved me through my own, you know, just for lack of a better word, just, you know, my own asshole, you know, period of times in my lives and, uh, uh, in my life rather. And, and so it's, that's still a challenge for me to, to not just defer all credit to the men that came before me. Well, but that's, you know, that's that passage in here that says it isn't your father or mother or wife whose judgment upon you must pass. The fellow yeah. whose verdict counts most in the life is the guy staring back from the glass. You know, it it only matters up to a point yeah. uh, until, you know, until you can take credit for it. I mean, that's part of the work. Not not It's not taking credit for all of it. It's taking credit for taking responsibility of what's yours. Yeah. And that's, and that's a challenge for me, for sure. And I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm open to those conversations all the time. And you, you're helping me through a lot of that. And, you know, my wife certainly helps me through a lot of that. And I take, you know, two steps forward and one step back and, you know, I have to get back on the horse again and, and, you know, look in the proverbial mirror again and, you know, remind myself that I have done a lot of work and I have taken a lot of correct action to get here uh, for whatever reason. It's, you know, it's that Rolodex of the parts of me that I don't like that I'm still, working hard to purge. I think though, and I go back to how you introduce yourself and I already commented on that, but I think that's a big part of the evolution of, of your work. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here, and I know you'll resist this, but I'll say it anyways, is because I want guys, you know, who are in there, you're in your mid fifties, brother. I'm only 51. Um, you, you have guys who are listening, who are in our age range and, 
you're an example of of showing up and doing the work and looking in the mirror and not liking yourself and looking again and again and again and again and finding digging deeper but i think a lot of it came, came down to the way you introduced yourself because i imagine there was a time when you said hey i'm dave i'm a contractor and i'm married and i'm a father and i'm all these other yeah. things and that to me again is so telling of the work that you've done no that's cool uh Thank you. And that's, that's interesting. And I'm, I'm happy that that's, you know, how I'm naturally, I guess, thinking of, of my life. I, you know, on the most basic level, I'm a contractor, you know, for the simple reason that, you know, that's the, that's the path that, you know, we've chosen to help support our lifestyle and our family. And, and so there it's been, it's been, you know, we've been very lucky. We, we obviously have been through some, a lot of tough times too, which, which, to be fair, you know, 2008 through 2012 was was a, an incredibly hard time financially, um, and, you know, economically throughout the world. And that's probably when the work really started, uh, because as Ray Dalio says in principles, you know, folks don't make change until the pain becomes so severe they can't tolerate it anymore. And so not only was I not really happy with who was staring me back in the mirror, but I was going broke simultaneously. And I couldn't, um, you know, I couldn't support my family in the way that I had not only committed to them, but, you know, I had expected of myself as well. So I suppose it's the first time I thought of it, that giving more credit to, you know, what I do for an income was also a big, uh, you know, catalyst for me to really start doing the work. And, and the actual timing of my turnaround was um, 2012, I met a mentor and a friend named Warren Rustan, who I'd met through Entrepreneurs Organization. And that's that's when it it really, the rubber started to meet the road. Because now I had somebody that I really uh, trusted and and admired and wanted, you know, really wanted change. And he, he helped guide me in that direction, you know, probably like no one ever has. Although his answer to you would be, you did the work, Dave. I just gave you a couple of tips on how to get there. Now, he sounds like uh, an important man period i know is important to you yeah. um yeah i probably should have even started this conversation with a little pop quiz i do for guys oftentimes which is i'll introduce myself and i'm writing a book right now so it's very fresh in my mind this is a big part of it and it's hey i'm i'm baruch um what's your name and then the next question that invariably comes up one of us will ask right the question all dudes ask each other since probably the time of adam what do you do yeah. Right. It just it's interesting. I've been studying this question for a long time and women don't naturally go to, oh, hi, I'm Jody. Oh, I am Ariella. What do you do? Right. right. There's like 17 steps in between asking what's your what am I asking? And when I ask you, Dave, what do you do? You ask me what I do for work, I imagine. Well, that's exactly right. Every guy says, oh, that he must be asking me what I do for work. Yeah. But that's what you defied in that opening statement, which was, I essentially said, hey, Dave, what do you do? And you essentially said, I do being a husband. I do being a dad. I do, you know, you listed all right. these ways you allocate your time, energy, resources on this rock. Yep. And also I'm a contractor. And I think that's the big shift. Yeah. You see yourself in so much more, so much more robust than just fill in that blank with what I do for a living. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, uh, you know, I have a dream to be so many other things too, than just a contractor. So that's probably a big part of it is I spend a lot of my time, um, you know, 
strategizing and and planning and you know goal setting and dreaming uh for what's next and what's next is never oh i'm going to be a, the biggest contractor in colorado I, I don't think that way at all what i really want to do is you know create a lifestyle where we have you know a a very loving and and functional and stable home environment you know where we can spend time you know serving others and and have the freedom and flexibility to do the things that make our heart pitter patter versus just paying the bills. But it's interesting because I I wasn't with you on that previous leg of your journey when you struggled uh, more professionally slash financially, but your attention was clearly more on making it work professionally. And sometimes there's an inverse relationship, right? With the more resources we pour into making a living, it's sometimes we get further away from that goal. And in this chapter, anybody who's listening and you know, Dave Mann, you know, he's flourishing throughout not only the state of Colorado, but I know you're moving out, you know, beyond Colorado. And you just said you're flourishing financially, professionally, but you're really putting less attention on that as you are these other areas. It's what it's come down to in the last year, I'd say is I, I inadvertently worked so hard to become a good person that a lot of good things started happening for me and for our lives. And the result is the business is in a really good spot. And I, and I give the credit to working really hard on, you know, our own improvement as individuals and as a family that has led us to where we're at now financially. And, that, and that's a revolution, especially as a man thing. So I, I, I have um, a couple of guys I'm working with um, in my office here in the past couple of days, and they each said the same thing to me that I challenge them because they talk about the work Adam versus home Adam versus buddies Adam. He's a different Adam in all these settings. And I said, that's part of the challenge. And all guys do this at first, compartmentalizing who I am. And I'm this over here and I'm that over here. And what you have done, and Scott and I talked a lot about this on our previous podcast, is you have gotten to a holistic view of Dave, where there's not husband Dave and and buddy Dave and work Dave. There's Dave, right? It's not compartmentalized. And the more you can live that holistic life, it starts translating. So you do this men's work over here, this personal work over here, you're becoming a better person over here on the other side with business. Does that ring true for you? Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, when you're challenged with being impatient, like I was, you know, that was a big part of my problem. I was, I was looking for the silver bullet, you know, it was, it was, how can I do this faster and, and make it easier? And, and there just, there wasn't any way to do it. I, I finally gave up on the, you know, get rich quick ideology and, and realize that I had to pour myself into it. And, and it, and it, it was so simple. And I thought it, you know, going into it, I, it was such a mystery to me, but the truth is, is I got real discipline. I became real consistent. I focused on being more loving and kind in every relationship that I was in. And with Warren specifically, he gave me some homework where he wanted me to get up at 5.30 a.m. every day and spend a couple minutes, in my case, thanking God for all my pl- blessings, and then 
his version of, you know, what we called the 32 minute ritual was 10 minutes of reading only positive thoughts, 10 minutes of thinking only positive thoughts and 10 minutes of writing positive thoughts. So by five, whatever, 6.02 AM, that's how I started my day for 562 straight days. And I have that journal still. And for my memory is on that 562nd day, I called him and I said, what's the meaning of this? And he said, you know, for you to retrain your thoughts, for you to retrain the way that you show up in the world. And, and I don't know if there was a finite moment, Brooke, when I realized it, but I've certainly had a bunch of stumbles since then, but we've continued to trend forward in such a positive way. And I'm telling you, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And my life has been an incredible blessing, uh, you know, since that time for sure. Random question, but why is it called the 32 minute if there's three sections of 10? Because the first two minutes was, was as he describes it, I want you to open your eyes and look over at your beautiful wife and swing your legs over the edge of the bed and look up to the sky and thank God for all your blessings. And that was the first two minutes. So it's interesting too, because we've sort of come full circle and we'll wrap up. Um, you give me idea for like 10 more podcasts with you. So we'll, we'll have plenty to talk about. Um, 10, 10, 10, right. That sort of bullshit knee jerk. I'm all good. It's all yeah. good. I got, and then, you know, replacing it with 30 minutes, which is obviously 10, 10, 10, but it's a more right. holistic approach. It's less bullshit. It's more contemplative. It's more introspective. It's it's more consistent. I mean, that's a that's a big word I know you've used many times is consistently doing this. Yeah. One of the great things he taught me along the way as well, Warren, was, you know, design your life and go live it. There's no reason you can't design it any way you want it to be. And that was such a simple concept that you know, I probably, that was probably three or four years after the initial work. So maybe, I don't know, 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there. And Jody and I took that to heart and we came back and, you know, we were renting a home at the time. We were underwater on other real estate at the time. Business was still kind of bouncing along at the time. And, you know, between vision boards and coaching and therapy and lots of family meetings, you know, that were super structured, you know, we're in, we're in an incredible place in our lives now, you know, from a love perspective, from a commitment perspective, from a, a financial perspective. And it goes back to, you know, we got real consistent with what we wanted as a, as a individuals and as a family. And uh, I just said to her yesterday, I said, our life has never been better. And she said, I agree. Amen, brother. Well, I feel like we um, are like one of those Tarantino movies or something where we started with the happy, well, that is, his are never happy endings. We started with sort of the happy ending and yeah. then we rewind in the next one and talk about um, how you got there. And I want to specifically make sure we remember to do this. So I'm committing, you know, in public to do this is to go back to some of the, what I call the shatterings as a necessary, painful, but necessary stepping stone to rebuild your life, to get to this point. And, and so, you know, we, we talked about the poem Invictus, maybe we'll circle back to that, but and just sort of priming the pumps for what's next. If you're willing, I'd love to do a part two more like the origin story of Dave. Yeah, I, I would love to. And as I've shared with you before, another great mentor of mine used to always say, being listened to feels so much like being loved, I can hardly tell the difference. So I'm happy to keep talking if you're willing to keep listening. I'm happy to keep loving you, brother. All right. Thank you, dude. Love you too. All right. To everybody else, jump over to defiantspirit.org where you can learn more about 
me. I'm going to get Dave's information over there pretty soon here because we're going to be launching a very cool opportunity for all of you guys listening. Stay tuned for that. That's just a little teaser. I'm not going to tell you what it is until we formally launch it sometime coming to a theater near you. Until then, defy your number and live your spirit. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving a five-star review and share this podcast with others. To learn more about the Defiant Spirit, get more inspirational content, or see how we might work together to live your Defiant Spirit, visit defiantspirit.org. Until then, take back your power and live your Defiant